Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Right sales and marketing teams, the Alpha Awards are back and it's time to nominate your business development heroes. On the 1st of May, Alpha Insight, the UK's leading business development platform for the media industry, will be hosting a night of celebration for the best salespeople in the business. Whether you want to showcase a new business initiative, your account management team, purposeful partnership, or a rising star, there's a chance for your team to be recognized in the spotlight in front of key industry leaders, clients, and indeed their peers and yours. So get your entries in now at www.alfawards.com. That's A-L-F awards.com. Good luck. Hello and welcome to On Brand with Alf and me, Rory Sutherland. Each month, I'll be talking to household names as well as challenger brands about success, challenges, and future opportunities in the advertising, marketing, and media industry. Today, I'm joined by Ney de Jungst. Leila is the co-founder and chief evangelist of Air Up, the world's first drinking system that flavors water just by scent. I have one on the desk right in front of me. Now, Leila developed the prototype for Air Up during her university thesis at the University of Schwäbischer Gmünd, and Leila launched the product in 2019. Air Up now operates in 11 markets and has doubled its workforce to more than 300 employees while enjoying a customer base in the millions. Air Up bottles have exploded in popularity this year and are now a disruptive force in the soft drinks industry. So, Lena, welcome to the podcast. And just before I get started, um, I just thought for anybody who hasn't seen an Air Up bottle, I have one on, on my desk in front of me. Effectively, what happens is you have a bottle which you fill with tap water. You then pass it through a straw, and you have two options. You have a little capsule that goes around the nozzle, uh, the teat at the top of the bottle. And you can pull that up, and when you pull it up, you'll hear the noise now. It both slightly aerates the water and flavours it with your choice of coffee flavour. I think this one's watermelon, actually, if I've got that right. If you want to, you can push the little round thing down, and you drink just straight water out of the bottle. But essentially, if I'm right, before we get started... This effect works largely through scenting the water, not through flavouring it. Is that right? Yes. Which is why the capsule can be so small. Yes, right. In many ways, it's a perceptual innovation in the taste and smell are hugely interrelated. It's, it's impossible to enjoy food if the restaurant you're in smells. Right. And equally, if you make something smell nice, it changes the way you, you experience taste. So... But tell me what your thesis was on. Was it on kind of psychophysics and human perception? 
or was it on the, um, or phenomenology? Well, what does the University of Schwäbisch and Gmünd um, offer in terms of this kind of research? Because I, I, it's so rare for a university thesis to actually lead to something useful that I think this, yeah, this yeah. deserves special consideration. I think they would love to hear that, my professors, if they heard that quote. But yes, yeah, so I was studying product design together with my today co-founder, Tim. And this was our bachelor thesis. And when you study product design, most of the times you're quite free to do whatever you want. The only goal is you have to um, get a physical product out at the end. And so we were actually coming from a neuroscientific place. So we, we watched a TED talk from a neuroscientist called David Eagleman. He was explaining his, his TED talk how our sensory perception works and why it would make sense to augment our sensory perception in some ways and maybe also to ma manipulate it because our sensory perception in general hasn't changed over decades, but our environment has changed a lot. So we thought, okay, this is very interesting. Maybe we can tap into that. And then we were looking for a product category um, where it could be useful to change your sensory perception. And of course, I mean, food and drinks uh, is a very sensory topic and it's um, connected to a lot of problems that result from it. And we found out that uh, basically the reason why we eat so much unhealthy stuff is because we're just drawn to good flavors um, uh, because um, our brain tells us to eat sweet stuff and savory stuff because back in the days this was important for us to survive, right? Um, so we thought, okay, how cool would it be if we could create a flavor without having to add all those um, unhealthy ingredients. And we um, stumbled across the topic of retronasal olfaction. So that's how the scientific effect is um, called. So basically, when, when you chew on food or when you drink something, then aromas get extracted and they get perceived by the back of your throat, by your nose, um, as flavor. So, um, and when we found out that, we thought, okay, this, that's cool. Maybe that's the way to simulate flavor without having to add sugar, salt, and so on and so forth. And that's how the first prototype basically was built. Because what fascinates me about so much about design and conception of new products is they optimize for objective factors, not subjective factors. And you don't actually have to produce a drink that tastes of something you have to produce the sensation that the drink tastes of something, and therefore it's perfectly possible to hack that. And I think actually the biggest misdirection of quite often in all forms of innovation is try. This is this is some some what my TED talk was about. Don't try and make the train faster. Instead, make the train journey more enjoyable, so people don't care how yeah. long it takes. And we don't tend to do that because scientists tend to start with kind of SI units or quantities or chemicals. And really, we should opt. I mean, your television is opt. This, this screen in front of us is optimized for perception in that it only has 100%, to produce yeah. red, green, and blue because the human eye, the cones in the human eye, only detect relative measures of red, green, and blue. And therefore, there's no point in having violet pixels because you mm. can effectively create that effect with the three colors that the brain's attuned to. TVs are actually, um, they're species specific. So, I think higher primates, I think gorillas would think that TVs were quite realistic, but your dog or your parrot would think your TV picture is rubbish because they have a different perception. 
I think it's incredibly important because, I mean, it's very important to me air up, by the way, for two reasons. I'm just going personal here. I've just had some um, uh, sort of prostate surgery, which means that for three months I can't drink caffeine. And I also can't drink, I also can't drink, it's either called aspartame or aspartame, and I have no mm-hmm. idea which it is. Yeah. Because both of those things tend to trigger the bladder. Mm. And um, uh, as a consequence, I suddenly realized it's really quite hard to find a drink that isn't full of either sugar or aspartame or caffeine. Okay. And so Air Up came to the rescue here, rather, along with, funnily enough, a previous guest on the show, Dash, which is, Dash, I think, is similar. It's a canned drink. It's made with wonky fruit. And effectively, it uses the fruit to provide, essentially, sensory flavor rather than actual, you know, huge quantities of fruit. But it's very, it's very, very interesting in this thing, partly because also the other reason I find this useful is I grew up in Wales, where the tap water is excellent. It tastes lovely. It's very soft water. And Wales, you you never have to descale your washing machine. If you want to save money on the Calgon, just move to Wales. Um, by contrast, the water here in the southeast, the ghastly Anglo-Saxon water, is very, very hard, which is probably good for you, but it tastes right. By comparison with the water of my childhood, it tastes rubbish. And let's be honest, okay, I've got to be careful saying this, but uncarbonated water is kind of a bit boring. I mean, it's interesting that your product allows you that option. I can push the little thing down, and here we go. That's water. Pull it up, and it's flavoured with watermelon. And as far as my senses go, I'm drinking a flavoured drink. I have no capacity to separate the the scent from the taste, if you like. Yeah, that's a that's actually the the important thing to mention. A lot of like there were products before that tried to scent. Uh, to to simulate flavors through scent, but what uh, those those people who worked on those products did is was they used orthonasal um, olfaction. So that means that you inhale the scent through your nose instead of exhaling it through your nose. In that way, the brain um, will perceive the scent as scent, and the flavor as flavor. But the other way around, when you do the retronasal olfaction, then actually the the brain cannot differentiate. And that's the whole trick. And that's why it's so important that the scent comes into your mouth. Got it. Because when it when it's going in reverse, your nose is effectively feeding into the flavor sensors in the brain. Whereas when it comes in through your nostrils, that's when effectively you can separate what you smell from what you taste. Yes. This is ingenious. This is the most brilliant brain. I've, I've often wondered about this, by the way, which is to say that what you might call the systemic threat to huge billion-dollar industries is to some extent perceptual. I've always wondered if you could produce a drug that just made you feel really well dressed, okay? You could yeah. kill you could kill the worldwide fashion industry, you know. Now you could yeah. argue, I might argue that for men, and you're from Munich anyway, so you'll know this anyway, yeah. four pints of strong lager, broadly speaking, achieve that effect in men. In that once you drink four pints of strong lager, you're convinced you're incredibly sophisticated, attractive, and a brilliant dancer. Okay. And so if you could create these kind of what you might call consumer substitute drugs, okay, you could yeah. actually, well, actually, from an environmental point of view, actually killing a large part of the fashion industry would probably be quite good news. <laughs> anyway, if, it, if, there's any, if there's any evil scientist out there who wants to actually produce the Vogue drug, which basically just makes you feel like a Vogue model, even if you're just wearing, you know, crumpled old clothes, well, I'm that your first customer. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 
Or instead, you just drink the four pints of lager, right? Exactly. They all just have four pints of lager, which works quite well. I mean, um, so tell us more about your background and how it came about. What made you decide to do product design? Um, and uh, have you always been fascinated by that? Or, or was this kind of partly accidental? Well, in some ways, accidental, but also it was my passion. So I was always, I loved drawing. And so I wanted to get into arts, but then I realized at a certain point, okay, arts is very abstract in a way. Um, not sure if I can make a living out of it. So I got into um, some internships. So I, I worked for a um, blacksmith. I worked for um, like someone who works with, with wood and metal and I loved it. Um, so I applied for product design because I thought I could connect this handcraft with my love for um, art and um, drawing. And then I realized, so it was very, like, I came from the very other end. But during the study, I realized what I really enjoy about the study is actually the inventor part, right? So um, to conceptualize, um, to bring different things together, to connect the dots, and by the end of it, um, create an idea out of it that you actually, by the end of the day, is not just existing in one's head, but you can also realize it through prototyping and so on and so forth. So that's how I got into product design, and I still love it. So, Yeah, I, I completely agree, by the way. I mean, I, I think that... Um, uh, a, a very, very large part of improvement. I think the two areas really to look for improvement in quality of life um, are not. It's you know economics assumes it's more stuff. I think I, I think that you know the the two things we really need are better design stuff and effectively uh, better psychology and marketing. Um, and I think I, I if if you want me to be cynical about the technology world. We, we tend to assume that the good products succeed and the bad ones fail. We tend to assume there's this kind of Darwinian process at work. I think that that process does work over decades, perhaps. But I think there's not, you know, because, you know, unless you know how to market the things that are genuinely, enduringly good, um, unless you know how to design them well, you'll still fail, even if your basic idea is really good. And I want to make a comment that this, uh, this Air Up flask, which I have in front of me, is very beautifully designed and intelligently curves over at an angle to make it uh, much pleasanter to drink. Uh, intelligently, the straw um, actually, uh, this is, okay, the straw does not go down to the bottom of the bottle. It goes down to the bottom and the edge so that you can effectively get nearly all of the water out. Well, it's obvious, but it's obvious in retrospect, if you like. Uh, it's a very beautifully designed thing. So you patently put attention to that. It's something because as we know, that water bottle culture among young people is a fairly major thing. Um, and it, it looks great. I mean, I have to say that. I mean, it, you have a choice of colors, a choice of sizes and so forth. And the uh, uh, and also the packaging for the pods is very, very nice. Now, how did you first, when you first started, you, you presumably, obviously, you make a prototype. Um, and the prototype works. When you went into manufacture, what were your first ideas for how to market it, how to find distribution, how to promote it? Because, of course, when you create a new category, the, the one of the things I'll say to anyone listening, okay, if you create a new category of anything, growth at first is slow, okay? You know, first of all, who do you talk to at a supermarket or a shop? Because it doesn't fit into any of their pre-existing categories yeah. of what you sell, you know? Um, and so that's that's where it gets really, really interesting. And also, how do you distribute the pods? 
I mean, obviously you do it online. That's one great spur to innovation, which is, you know, consumables can be sold online across 11 markets fairly easily. But what was your first step once once production kicked up and started running? Yeah, so I think, first of all, what was interesting uh, from a from a physical development perspective is that we had three months for our bachelor thesis. We had the idea or we stumbled across retronasal affection by half um, through the project. So we had one and a half months to actually create the physical prototype, but which was in the end functioning. So we had the basic technology and we had a like a first very simple prototype, but we had a prototype. And from that, it took us one and a half years to bring it um, to production. So um, it was a lot about the small details. Like it, it's a lot about how can you produce a product in a way that it is affordable for us um, at the same time has a high quality and has, um, like, you know, it's, it, you avoid a lot of the errors that could uh, appear in usage uh, of, the, of the product. So that was a huge process for us. And while we were um, working on the manufacturing part, that was the time where we thought, okay, but like we had our first thoughts about how to market the product. And um, initially, we thought a lot about um, creating a product for people who have diabetes because that was the most obvious choice, right? So um, we thought, okay, this is actually, it applies to a lot of, Problem, like health problems that people have. Um, a lot of people also can't drink or consume acidic beverages. Some people have problem with sparkling beverages. A lot of um, beverages um, have um, sparkling water um, that have a flavor. So um, there were a lot of reason to, um, to go into the med tech space. But then we realized, okay, once we have... Um, we go down that route. We kind of exclude the whole lifestyle fact, like the the whole lifestyle factor around the product. And we knew we needed that in order to build a brand. Um, that that was one side. The other, the thing we considered in the beginning was okay. Um, we knew our product was especially attractive to kids um, because um, a lot of, of, of course, kids have even a stronger urge to drink sweetened beverages and parents really uh, would like to 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 save their kids from from uh, consuming a lot of sugar um so we thought okay that could be also interesting but at the same time we we not wanted to build up a kids brand from bottom because we wanted to be attractive for both um target groups and um so by the end of the day we launched um the product as a lifestyle product with targeted to the gen set and it had a lot of effects afterwards also now uh, like 50 percent of our target group are actually kids so it's it's quite interesting how that went down that route um and um the other thought that we have was like where to place our product and in the beginning we thought okay that was pre-corona we thought okay um a beverage is bought normally in the supermarket so we thought okay we need to get into retail but retail comes up with a lot of downsides as well because you it's a lot of effort to, yeah. to, to, to 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 get into the supermarkets and in especially in germany where we started we the, there are not a lot of centralized supermarket chains right so well, you, there are two huge you, ones um, i suppose in Lidl and aldi 
but you don't want to end up in the middle aisle there when you launch. I think it's probably better. So, yeah. yeah, right. Also, it was a little bit of a branding question. Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, actually, we launched our product in retail, basically, and over Amazon because we were we weren't able to finalize our web shop before launching the product. But shortly after, so in 2020, we decided to um, go to D2C first and sell our product mainly over our web shop because it gave us the biggest um, control over consumer data, over price point, over how to position the product. Um, it was a lot less effort for us to do that. And we realized, okay, we can also um, explain our product um, online through videos, through influencers. And people would understand it and still still be in, uh, curious enough to buy it. Because our thought was in, initially, okay, this is a completely new technology. People need to try it before um, they would be interested in buying it. So we did a lot of testings also in supermarkets and so on and so forth. Um, but we realized we don't need to do it. And um, therefore, we we decided to... Um, launch our product or not launch but to sell our product mainly through our web shop I, th I think the role of those influencers particularly for new things there's there's another tip i'd give you i'm sure you've explored this already but qvc and effectively infomercial which is that something that's fundamentally new requires mm -hmm. you can't really set it you can't really sell it in 30 seconds because as you said you have multiple target audiences we all know yeah. that funny thing if you've ever watched qvc or infomercial it's yeah, very yeah. handy if you're diabetic. It's extremely useful if you have kids because you're saving a lot of money when you don't have to buy carbonated beverages. It's great for this. It's, you can do it. Now, we always laugh at that, you know, where you have, you know, yeah. people selling things, pointing out, you know, a whole plethora of benefits. Actually, in the early days of a product, that's probably, I mean, QVC has lots of really interesting DTC products, but influencers are, in a sense, QVC for the 23rd yeah. century. Tw you know, twenty. Sorry, what am I talking about? Twenty first century, twenty third yeah. century, uh, the twenty first century. And I think, I think, I think that so you made a strategic decision. By the way, very interesting. It's amazing how many widely useful products start off having a kind of medical or disability angle, which is mm -hmm. the, the absolute core target audience is say diabetics because they have a fundamental problem. And that remains true, but what you often find when you design for a very specific problem is that you solve an awful lot of problems that radiate out. There's a great book by Helen Lewis, um, Helen Edwards, sorry, great book by Helen Edwards called From Marginal to Mainstream. How about the interesting trends often start on the fringe of something? You could obviously talk is about it? veganism being another example. Is it? But actually, it's not a bad policy in, in product design to say, let's take a core group. And then ask the question, how far does it radiate out? Now, I'll tell you an extraordinary story about this. Uh, if you buy a tray, you want to drink a tray because you want to take a pot of tea and some cups or mugs into the next room, okay? 99% of the trays in the world don't have a handle. You have to hold, you use both hands, which makes it really difficult getting through a door. And you have to keep the thing level with both hands every step of the way. You can buy trays with a handle. They're either in niche kind of craft shops and they're positioned as like Moroccan handle tray, or you go to a disability store. Now, I bought all my my father and my parents-in-law, I bought them this tray with that. You only need one hand, which means you can go upstairs without losing the grip on the banister. You could open doorknobs. 
etc. Now, in a sensible world, every single tray would come with a handle because it also means that gravity does the job of keeping the tray level, okay? In every yeah, respect, in every respect, yeah. it's a much, much better idea. But what's happening effectively is that um, designing for a disability, what you often find, it's rather like, you know, if you take wheelchair wraps, well, they're very useful for people who've got wheelie suitcases. And there are so many cases where you realize that you solve for a specific problem and you solve a general problem. So, by the way, I think the use of influencers, that was a kind of strategic decision because it's a new product. We need people to effectively normalize something. And it is, I think it's the right channel in the early stages of um, uh, of some product. I can completely see how uh, it just requires a little more lengthy exposition than you can get in, certainly in banner ads or whatever. Not that, not that those might not work. But the other advantage, of course, of D2C, I suppose, is that... Um, you have the model, the influencer gets effectively the credit for resulting sales. You also then have the data with which you can sell the consumables. So um, right. uh, and th those are quite conveniently, of course, delivering soft drinks by post is obviously pretty expensive. Delivering what are fairly light, not very voluminous pods. That's that. So have you explored the subscription model? You presumably have, because I, I just buy mine direct. I, presumably one option is a subscription model where you just have repeat purchase. Yeah, we are right now having a test within the uh, the Dutch market, but actually the the UK comes next. So, ah, right. Uh, okay. <laughs> we got your back, Rory. Oh, um, fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, of course. Um, subscription model makes total sense. We actually, we, we, we had a few tests Um and we now have a proper tech team that can take care of it because, I mean, we, we also realized at a certain point, okay, we're a physical product company, but actually um, the one thing that we work with most or our biggest sales channel is our web shop and we can improve that by a lot. So um, right now we're also working on an improved web shop. We have a proper tech team set up and they are also taking care of um, subscription model um, for us. That's really, really useful. That's fantastic. Interestingly, um, Dash has made a great success of the subscription model. And I suspect part of the reason is that what you spotted initially uh, is that uh, there are a certain number of people who don't want to consume sugar. There are a certain number of people who don't want to consume um, uh, artificial sweeteners. There are a certain number of people who don't want caffeine. And if you're in any of those three categories, actually you're weirdly ill-served um, uh, by the soft drinks market. Obviously, there's water, but as I said, there, there are limits. I mean, I I always remember I always remember talking to people who who, who don't drink alcohol. They said, you know, they get, they actually get very grumpy when people say uh, people attack diet coke because they say seriously. They said, if you go to a party, what am I supposed to drink? And yeah. we are getting we are getting better at sort of adult no alcohol kind of drinks. Yeah. But, but they you know, they always said, look, you've got to you've got to have something, some kind of stimulant. And they said that, you know, that there's this fundamental problem, which is people serve you water, which gets boring, or orange juice, which is not really tolerable beyond a certain volume, you know, absurdly. Yes. It's absurdly heavy, heavy in fructose. And it's odd that such a variegated market, in a way, with so much variety. Have, and, and I suppose the, the typical finding is that there are lots of people who are kind of gluten intolerant or avoid you, possibly yes. for entirely spurious reasons. I mean, for every one person who's genuinely celiac, there must be now 10,000 people who claim some sort of gluten intolerance. And so that trend of effectively avoiding things yeah. um, is, is undoubtedly growing. People are trying to limit, in a sense, 
Um, you know, people are actually setting up almost sort of dietary laws for themselves. And I, th yeah. I think that's interesting. And it's also what, what's super interesting about the technology that we use and the, the way we use aromas as well is that um, for people who are allergic to certain flavors, right? A lot of people are allergic to certain types of fruit or um, whatever, different, different types of um, yeah, food in general. Um, we can, those people can still enjoy the flavor through our technology. So everything that you can smell is also, we can deliver as a flavor through our technology and um, also can deliver flavors that you would normally not consume because they're maybe not healthy or um, they're just not unusual maybe to drink with a beverage. So, so, it, so you've it, got the it coffee. I mean, have you thought? Yeah. Of, have you thought of doing the same for hot drinks? Does the does the thing work theoretically? A hundred percent. So what's what's quite interesting is that, of course, also like if you consume warm water with um, like a punch flavor or like a tea flavor or whatever, like um, hot wine, a it bold works wine quite we well. Call it, yeah. So it, ah, yeah. It, so, so your Christmas markets, your Christmas yeah, markets, you can replicate. Yeah. So, so the temperature of the of the water, the if it has sparkles or not, it really influences your flavor perception. So, um, we of course thought about it. The problem is right now that as we have a straw and the system works with the straw. If you put in hot water, of course, you you easily burn your tongue. So we are not advertising for it. Yeah, it has an influence on your on your flavor perception, and you could, of course, also. I mean, this is not nothing we advertise as well. It's not the idea of the product, but of course, you could put in like other drinks, like milk or whatever, and to mix it with different flavors. So it opens also the opportunity to really experiment with flavors in a very easy um, and very convenient way. This is fascinating because. I mean, there are two things that are going on here, which I think are really interesting. Nobody would have predicted, I think, in my childhood, that one of the major trends in 2020 would be effectively abstinence. In other words, removing yeah. things rather than adding them. So yeah. one of my most recent podcasts, I'll get them as guests on the show, are people called Mash Gang, who make low, very low alcohol beer. It's 0.5%. Is I it? think I think they would make no alcohol beer. They argue that it's it's much more difficult to make no alcohol beer than low alcohol beer if you want to make it palatable. There are these extraordinary achievements. I don't know if you've tried this, whether it's in Germany yet. Um, zero alcohol Guinness. It's extraordinary in the sense that, and to an extent, okay, even um, large large things are psychological. So you can actually have a convivial evening. I mean, the other the other people we're interested in, by the way, have a look at a company called Sentia, S-E-N-T-I-A, which is kind of co-founded by Professor David Nutt, who was the government's kind of drug star. And this is, by the way, you should definitely investigate these guys because it basically creates the what you might call the conviviality of alcohol without the impairment. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's a thing which activates GABA receptors. So these these basic mind hacks, uh, perceptual hacks. Now, the other thing that's really interesting is that, uh, by the way, the color magenta, as you know, doesn't exist, okay? It doesn't exist on the light spectrum. It's simply because when you get a lot of two colors and you don't get any, if I'm right, it's red, green, blue. And if you get a lot of red and blue and you don't get any green, the brain goes, well, halfway between red and blue is green, but my green cones aren't being triggered. So I need to create a mental color for the inexplicable absence of green 
And the brain comes up with magenta, which is a color that doesn't exist in physics. It's not on the light spectrum. Okay, It's a complete mental creation. Now, one of the things, there's a guy at the University of Oxford called Charles, I'll remember his name in a second, um, who basically points out that you can create totally new tastes by hacking psychology. And he, he produces these things which look, it looks like a lemon, but it tastes of strawberries. And because your expectation is, I'm going to get bitterness here, it's going to be a really heavy citrus fruit, and then you get hit with a whack of strawberry, effectively, the combination of expectation and experience creates a third taste that didn't really exist before. It's, it's really, really interesting. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Top two challenges brought to you by Alf Insight. Alf Insight helps media owners, agencies, and marketing service providers improve their new business pipelines by equipping them with in-depth insights, accurate information, and daily news updates on the leading and challenger brands in the UK. Alf also helps sports clubs, venues, and charities with new partnership deals. Alf Insight identifies the brands to target at the right time, providing everything you need to tailor the perfect pitch. Visit Alfinsight, that's ALFinsight.com, or click the link in the episode description to find out more. We have this little thing called Top Two Challenges. And it's um, you launched Air Up back in 2019. So reaching a million in that time is pretty pretty much proof of success. And there have been many global events since then, obviously launched pre-pandemic, which may have been either bonus or a cost. I'm not quite sure. Um and it impacted even the most established global companies. So what's been the biggest challenge getting air up to market and growing to your your first million or so customers? What was the biggest challenge? And the second question is, what do you think is the challenge? What do you think are the challenges facing the, let's say, the cold drinks market as a whole? We'll probably leave out tea and coffee just to keep it keep keep it reasonably constrained. All right. Yes. Yeah, so for the first challenge, I mean it's hard to to really 
separate the challenges itself. It was just a challenging time as a founder. Um, so to get everything started, but I would say the biggest, um, the biggest decision for us was as I, um, as we talked about before, um, to decide against retail and to decide for D2C because that helped us also to internationalize. Which 11 markets are you in? One market's presumably the EU. A second one is presumably the UK. Um, we won't get into that. Um, what, what are the, what are the, have you gone to the United States or North America yet? Yes. So we're mostly in the EU and then um, we launched our product last year in June in the US. Got it. So, yeah. Um, and for us, it was a big, um, it was a very good decision to take because um, if we would have launched our product always through retail, then we would have been able to, we wouldn't have been able to internationalize as fast because um, through that, we didn't have to build up companies on ground. Um, we were able to do that through the personnel we already had within the, within the company. Um, sure, we, we profited from also having people um, from, from the different countries to, I don't know, when it comes to communication and all of that, and we had to build up logistics behind it and so on and so forth. But um, we're, we're uh, quite good at launching our product and we call it a scrappy way uh, in a new market to test first like, and to build up brand awareness until we take decisions like going into retail and investing into above-the-line marketing activities and so on and so forth. So I think that was a huge, um, it was a very good strategic decision. And I think in general, the, the biggest challenge that we had was to, we, we grew massively. Um, and so just to, to give a little bit of context, in 2019, we launched in Germany. We made um, 2 million revenue in 2019 wow. within a few months. Um, 2020, it was already 20 million. The year after, it was 90 million. Last year, it was 160 million almost. So it was a huge growth. And with that, of course, we had to build up structures within the company, build out logistics, made, make our product development more efficient. We also invested massively into bringing production from China to Europe. Um, so there was a lot of projects going on at the same time. Well, also, you know, I mean, we just came from university for us. It was of a course, huge... This is astounding. This is really amazing as a story. Yeah. I mean, it deserves, yeah. by the way, to, I hope after this podcast, it will feature a lot more in, uh, you know, business uh, cases because that, that's an astonishing rate of great growth. What's the repeat use like? I mean, you must be able to effectively clock because of your DTC model. How many people are renewing their pods? What's What's interesting is that those people who use that use us on a daily basis, and we um, we assume from the data that we have that um, people use our pods for around eleven days. Got it. That's it. That's yeah. really really interesting. Which yeah. uh, one one really important thing from a behavioral science point of view is to let them know in some respects when they order how many liters of liquid they've consumed and how much that would cost if yes. they were buying it in canned or bottled form. Because there's always the danger that things that are actually saving you money can seem expensive at the time you're buying them. Yes. And so that's, 100%. you know, it'd be really interesting if you actually had a kind of prediction of how many liters of, in other words, tell people how many liters of, of water a pod flavors, which I guess is about, probably about 11, is it? 
It's about 11. No, it's, a, it's around five liters. That's a huge quantity of liquid. So making sure that price framing is made clear to people that they're saving money, they're not really spending. Uh, and I suppose that's why it's very popular with kids because parents suddenly notice that your kid's carbonated beverage budget is actually quite high. You know? yes. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. And one other challenge we have is that the... So the special thing about the technology we use is when you use scent, um, the flavor doesn't stop abruptly, right? So it's no. not like... Like from one moment to the other, there's no flavor anymore. And then people realize, okay, I need to get a new pod. So um, that's something also we want to work on. Because what happens if it slowly fades out is that people kind of get used to it. And then like after like a, a certain time, like, yeah, it kind of still tastes something, right? So it's also as something that we can improve upon because the feedback is important for people. By the way, I mean, it's a high, that means it's a high engagement product. One of the, one of the other things it says, email people quite a lot whenever you have a new flavor, whenever you have anything new coming out. Yeah. Don't, because people, what's crazy is you get thousands of emails for things you're not interested in and things you are interested in, people email you too infrequently. And so those kind of repeat communications, uh, you know, anytime you've got a new flavor, you know, use it as a, use it as an opportunity to sell more because I, I think the, the world seems to divide into company. I, I mean, I, you know, I went, I went to see the Houston. Don't ever, don't ever get on a US emailing database. I went to see the Houston Astros <laughs> while I was in Houston. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I like baseball to an extraordinary degree for a British person, but I don't think I need an email every day telling me what's happening <laughs> at the Astrodome. So there is this absolutely bizarre divide between companies which just spam you to death and companies which are far too yeah. diffident and reticent about what they're doing. So. One thing, whatever, 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 however often you're emailing people, double it, you know, because it, it's a high <laughs> engagement product, which is also newsworthy and conversation worthy. And that's one great advantage you have, which is the whole thing is effectively, it's it, it's rather like that Seth Godin book, Purple Cow. You've created a product which is inherently conversational, like the air fryer. Okay, and yeah. is it is it dishwasher proof? I need to ask because. I was never quite sure. It is, I think, dishwasher proof. Not the pod, obviously. But the other components. Yeah, we have now a second generation bottle that is dishwasher proof. I, I think this is, this is um, the second generation, isn't it? Yes, you have the second yeah, generation. I've got the second right. generation, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Sorry, dishwashers feature rather too heavily in my conversation. So I'll move on. Then, as far as the second top challenge in terms of, well, I mean, it may be an opportunity. Yeah. Are you getting actually serious interest for acquisition from large drinks companies? They might, you must have had a few large companies sniffing around. What's interesting was that I think we haven't even started yet to like sell our product. And we already knew from friends who were working at like other beverage companies that they had yeah. us in the, within their strategy decks, right? So, um, Very interesting. Like the beverage it's... companies um, did like pay us a lot of attention from from early days on because I think we were just such a different animal within the space. And actually, I think one of the uh, little innovations in the market for, for a lot of years, because I mean, what the beverage industry did over years was, or decades actually, was to just um, adapt recipes for beverages, right? So the, the ingredient list, but um, what was hardly ever touched was the overall, yeah, like the, the thinking about the flavor perception maybe from a different direction. And I think what also makes us interesting is that we have um, 
we are in the intersection of two markets. The one is the like the, the drinking bottle uh, market. Of course. So it's like a, we, we have a lifestyle component. We have a tech component even because it's not easy to replicate our product. And at the set, at the same time, we do have the like a the like the foods market. So something that people buy on a on a on a you know continuous uh, base. So that's that makes us quite interesting for investors and for and also the, you have a platform play essentially, which means yeah. you, you've kind of if you create a system in the way of mm-hmm. espresso, you do create a kind of moat because yeah. you have. You have the sunk cost investment in the device itself, and then the yeah. repeat purchase. Because it's 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 hard to create a platform play, but when you do, uh, or you know, a, a system play, but when you do, it tends to have more enduring advantages. And I, I imagine you've got the patents all sorted. So I, I, yeah, I, I don't provide legal advice. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah, that was what what was very unusual, and which is basically a gold nugget that you rarely ever find as a product designer is that there was no no one ever using um, retronasal olfaction before in a product. So that was super lucky and, and we got a great advantage out of it. Do you think uh, you're going to engage in some above-the-line advertising uh, eventually? Or, or is word of mouth and the influencer campaign successful enough on its own? I would argue that you reach a stage where it's a good idea to do mass advertising simply because the act of doing mass advertising says this is a thing. You know, it's common, it's popular, it's repeatedly popular. But do you have plans for that at all? Yeah, so we actually do uh, now start the first TV flights as tests. Ah, good. Um, And we only only do that. um, And we had had a out-of-home campaign end of the year in Germany something we have never done before because it was just too risky to do for us. Um, the The first um, goal for us was to understand how to communicate to customers in, in an effective way. And you can simply learn best through online uh, marketing because you have opportunities to test A and B messaging against each other and better understand, okay, what, works best like how do people understand our product best Mm. Mm. um and also it allowed us to be very cost efficient um and now we have a little bit more financial buffer to actually also um go with a bigger um with a bigger risks which is for us out of home or tv because you just have to invest a bigger chunk of money beforehand um without knowing if it's going to work or not you, you haven't, I think, by the way, I think you're right in this, um, but this is- given you launched in Germany, you haven't led on the environmental benefits of packaging. Now, by the way, I think in many cases, it's best not to do that. Make the product interesting and allow them to allow consumers to work out the environmental benefits for themselves, which are fairly salient with use after all. You know, you're not throwing cans in the bin. Um, but it was that a conscious decision as well? Um because you, you you could make a very very strong environmental case. I suppose you could argue well, water bottles have the same uh, have the same effective benefit. Yeah, well, we have actually done that. So, I mean, the, maybe to just explain to people who listen to the podcast um, why we have an uh, our environmental advantage in comparison to pre-filled um, flavored beverages from the supermarket is because 
one pod flavors at least five liters of water. And for that, we use very little plastic and the, the pod itself is very lightweight and small. So it also, we can transport a lot more flavored beverage in one container than yes. um, you could do with um, pre-filled beverages, right? So um, we, we have quite an advantage. The thing though, and I, there we go again into behavioral science, is that people see uh, in most cases a plastic bottle with plastic pods. So wow. the first thought of a lot of people is, okay, this cannot be good. Um, so we actually have to explain um, a lot uh, why it actually has advantages. But at the same time, um, yeah, there is a lot of skepticism around it, yeah, which I un understand. I because, sensibly, yeah. they've tried to inject the word single-use plastic uh, into, into yeah. the vocabulary of the consumer because it's a daft distinction. I mean, plastic... The fact that plastic lasts forever, okay, is, is a great thing if, 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 if it's a repeated use product with a long mm -hmm. shelf life and where the consumables are effectively very small. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah, you, uh, I, I think there's a danger quite often in environmentalism where the, the great is the enemy of the good, you know, where you have, you know, yeah. if, if you have really extreme opinion which demands absolute perfection in everything. Um Actually, that can be a barrier to progress because people aren't yet ready to make the full step. Um, and I, but there's nothing to stop you, I suppose, making um, uh, you know decomposable containers ultimately, but uh, one one step at a time. Well, it's it's quite complicated to be honest because the the problem is that um, our pots contain the natural aroma. And it's quite uh, it's quite hard to keep the aroma inside of the pot. Um, ah, of so course. it has to be a material that doesn't diffuse the the aroma right away. And with composable uh, materials, that's often the case. But what we're going to do and going to introduce um, next year is a bio-based um, pot. Yeah, I mean, I suppose aluminium is the other option. It's very interesting working with Nespresso because they get a lot of grief about using aluminium pots, which I do recycle assiduously. Um, but actually, aluminium is good because now technically PET containers are recyclable. The only trouble is that recycled PET isn't much cheaper than brand new PET. So the incentive to recycle it isn't very great. In the case of aluminium, recycled aluminium, because the cost is in the initial smelting, okay, recycled aluminium is about 10% of the cost of creating aluminium from bauxite. And therefore, there's a real market for used aluminium containers. And so as a result, aluminium does get recycled, whereas PET, if you put it in the recycle thing, the chances that it actually ends up in another bottle are, you know, not all that high, to be honest. So yeah. this is another problem, which is consumers take a kind of very, very knee-jerk reaction to what's good or not. And actually, if you if you dig a bit deeper, their own kind of instincts aren't very reliable as to what's really sustainable or not, um, which is that's always a big marketing problem. But this is really, this is absolutely brilliant. It's a fantastic thing. I will actually, uh, my PA, uh, Anna, uh, also wants a shout out because she's hugely grateful to you. Both their kids have one of these. They take them to school every day. They evangelize to their friends. And Aww, uh, it, it, nice um, they really, really enjoy them because, you know, to be honest, let's be fair, not, to adults as well as kids, I mean, plain water, there's a problem, which is that, the water supply to homes in countries like Germany and the UK is kind of a miracle. You have drinking water absolutely available on demand. It's an absolutely astounding achievement. 
technologically. And yet, at the downside, is that water on its own is kind of boring. Yeah. And as I said, I grew up in Wales where the water was delicious, you see. You know, soft water, and it, it is kind of like getting, uh, you know, it's effectively like getting Vitel on tap. It's absolutely lovely. And then I moved here to just outside London where the water's much harder. I've never found tap water remotely palatable until now. So, I mean, huge thanks. For- <laughs> yeah, so, no, I, I- yeah, I think one 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 thing to add to that would would we get a lot as comments from people is like, well, you know, why would I need your product? I mean, I can just put a <laughs> slice of lemon into my water and then I'm fine. No. And it's like, yeah, do it, but not a lot of people do it, right? I mean, there is a gap also between reality and how people would like to or think about themselves, how they behave and how they consume, but fact is by the end of the day that um, I think in Germany I read a statistic that in 2022 the average per day consumption of like fizzy and flavored beverages was 330 milliliters which is like a consumption of 30 grams of sugar while the recommended intake is already below 25 grams of sugar so there is a gap between reality and yeah how people do, do you have any other renovations? I think Rob was keen to know whether you had a plan to do a kind of uh, a Stanley style um, uh, a chi- or chili style um, insulated version. Well, we have a, um, a steel bottle, so we already ah, you've have got that. The, you've got that. Oh, fantastic! We have an insulated um, thing, but um, so how we see our future is we we agreed upon not being just a one 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 product company so you know what we did right now was to build out our portfolio to the left and right we created new flavors we created new materials colors and so on and so forth but we definitely see the potential in the company and the in the, in the technology to actually make the ne- next step to tap into new product categories bit of a hack does it work with sparkling water if i put carbonated water in is that an option yeah it, it actually works a lot better with sparkling water ah interesting I might try that because I was wondering about getting one of those quicker taps, which actually dispenses sparkling water. We on have demand. them in the office. I love them. They're, they're absolutely brilliant. This is fantastic. Well, this has been an uh, this has been an absolute joy. I, without giving away any trade secrets, do you have any other plans for uh, you know like brand extensions um, in other fields? Or, or I, I think I think you're probably doing pretty well as things stand. But this is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, we like we have a lot of plans. That's never been our problem. The problem is how fast can we execute on them? Of course, of course. But um, um, so yeah, in a in the in the product segment, there's huge potential that we still see. I'm now working on the product vision, um, so I'm very excited for that and too excited to again like think rather long term. Um, but then of course we're also going to further internationalize. Um, we are now also at a point where we um, invest more into um, brand and not performance marketing. So we, we kind of build up a little bit, um, build out our funnel when it comes to advertising. So we're also thinking about um, more brand partnerships and yeah, we're excited to see what's going to happen in the future. This this has been absolutely fascinating. I'm so pleased by your success. It's such a not not only is you know for something in a effectively in an academic uh, project to lead so quickly to fruition, but to succeed so fast is a real joy. So, Lida, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. 
Uh, you've been listening to On Brand with Alf and Rory Sutherland. If you want to do business with Era or any other drinks brand, contact the Alf Insight team on their website, which is www.alfinsight.com. That's www.alfinsight.com. You can also find the link in the episode description below. And as ever, the series is produced and superbly edited by Ultimate Content. So to make sure you receive the next episode, do just subscribe and tweak our little algorithms by giving us a little bit of a like if you've enjoyed what you've listened All that remains for me to say is thank you for listening and speak to you next time. Leela, thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it as well. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 